0: I'm Sharon Batters, and I'm excited to have you join us for this conversation with Joan and Jerry Borton. You are listening to a resource produced and distributed by Mark Inc. Ministries. Our goal is to offer help and hope to hurting people. And I know that those who listen to this story are going to hear of help and hope that can be life changing part of our series offering help and hope to families with disabilities or children who have disabilities or caregivers. And actually, this story is going to touch on a lot of those uh, very needs. So I want to welcome you, uh, Jerry and Joan. I'm really looking forward to our conversation So today, um, Jerry and Joan, we're gonna be talking about your story and we want our listeners to feel as though they're just listening in to us talking around a kitchen table and uh, getting to know one another in a more personal way. So why don't we start, Jerry, with you setting the table and telling us about your disability.
1: Oh, certainly. I was born with a disability, cerebral palsy, which in really simplified layman's term is brain damage. The part of my brain that controls my balance and coordination is damaged, so the messages don't get through quite as well to other parts of the body. It affects, as you can tell, my voice. It affects uh, the use of my limbs. I use power wheelchair. uh, So I grew up with it and have learned how to play with it and work around it and all that sort of thing. So that's the disability
0: put in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure you could tell us a lot more than that. But yeah. um but the two of you are married. We and, are. And so Jerry had this
2: disability, Joan, when you met him. Um so how how did you end up getting married? Well we've been married just over twenty two years now. I grew up in a family where my parents volunteered with people with cognitive impairments long before that was ever a thing to do in ministry or in the world. And so just growing up around people with any kind of disability was normal and natural to me. I went to college thinking I'd go to work in a church afterwards as a director of Christian ed and felt like that was a lot of spiritual responsibility for a young woman to take on. So thought I would do a quote-unquote easier job and went to work in a group home with children with multiple disabilities. But it continued my love for people with disabilities and grew that and showed me ways that I could marry my passion for people with disabilities and my training in church ministry to help churches reach out to people with disabilities. So through that and ministries I worked with, I um, encountered Johnny and friends and Johnny Erickson Tata invited me the same year she invited Jerry to attend a retreat of 40 disability ministry leaders around the country. And it was there I met Johnny for the first time and met Jerry for the first time, but we, we continued to attend that conference for about six years, each single as conferenced as buddies. And then after about six years, Jerry says he went home and said to God, I wish there was somebody like Joan in Indiana, because that's where he was living and I was living in California. Mm-hmm. And we both were involved with heavy camping schedules for the summer and ministries like that. And he said at the end of the summer, God said to him, you know, the phone works to California. Mm-hmm. So he started to call me at home, which was kind of an unusual experience and didn't declare anything at first, but we just continued to build our friendship. And by the first of the next year, we had realized that God was in this and had a a goal for us to be together. And we were uh, engaged later that year and again, married 22 years ago now.
1: I remember the first time I told Joan, I love you, was sort of like, I might be falling in love with you. Sort of like, if it's okay with you, you know, just kind of really difficult to jump out there, but you know, God, it's just really, I'm married to my best friend and that is just so cool.
0: That is a beautiful story, yeah. yeah. And I, I, Jerry, I think uh, you know, speak to that young man or young woman who does have disabilities that would love to have a marriage like you do, but may think because of uh, what appear to be limitations, they might be afraid to take the risk of pursuing that kind of a relationship.
1: Well, I read a quote from somebody somewhere who said that fear or courage is fear that has said its prayers. So, you know, the -hmm. fact that you're fearful about putting yourself out there is normal, but if you really want to develop a relationship with anybody, you're gonna have to work at finding time, finding the energy, finding the courage to do that, and in my experience, you know, uh, there were times in my life where dates were decades in between you meet someone and you think this one's going to be the one and they're not and you're disappointed and tempted to say, I'll never try that again. But you just need to go out there and attempt it, which, by the way, is true for those of us listening who don't have disabilities. I think... <laughs> Relationships are difficult.
0: You're right. Relationships are difficult no matter what, but I think you raise a really good point in that people who don't have disabilities or are not familiar with disabilities might see someone in a wheelchair or with disabilities and not recognize that inside that body that appears to be broken is a person just like anybody else. Exactly. They have the same needs and desires and wants as anybody else has. And, and so our response to them needs mm-hmm. to be pushed through that grid.
1: Exactly. You know, um, if, if we wanted to take the time, we could get on a whiteboard and probably list all kinds of ways that you and I are different. Because I grew up disabled and you didn't. But we can fill whole libraries of ways that you and I are the same.
0: And I think that's a missing piece in in our culture uh, today.
2: And Sharon, I appreciate your thoughts about seeing the person inside the disability, because so often people will stop me and say, Jerry must be so lucky to be married to you, or you did such a great thing marrying— like, it's all about what I did for Jerry. And I do hope and pray every wife should be a blessing to their husband.
1: And she is.
2: But what they don't see, and I often tell them, is— you only see what you think I do for Jerry. You don't see what he does for me and the ways he encourages me, he supports me, he loves me, he prays for me. And big deal about the physical part. That, that I'm so glad to hear you say
0: that. Uh, I think somebody needs to hear that today. Mm-hmm. I know I need to hear it too. Yeah. So I appreciate your transparency and your honesty. And, and there are days
1: when the physical part is a big deal. There are days where... Jonas told me that you know I love you right now I hate your disability Mm. and I get that there are times when I think I would resign disability but I just don't know where to send the letter (laughs) and I
0: think we need to be real about that there there has to be a a realness to the dailyness of like even getting up in the morning is different for you guys than it might be for me, sure. so um, we have to be realistic about that. Absolute. but But the core uh, of what we're saying is to see the person, to really see the mm-hmm. person rather than the physical um, mm-hmm. body outside mm-hmm. that holds that person. So, mm-hmm. um, Jerry, what are some of the things that your parents did right in raising you?
1: They did a lot of things right. Let me let me just name a few. Um, the first thing my parents did was pointed me to Jesus and encouraged me to put my faith in Him and become a follower of Jesus. Uh, um, you know, He's, He's my Savior and Lord. Um, then the, the next thing they did was they, they let me try things. Um, when I was in high school, I was a little league baseball coach. Yeah, growing up with a disability in a wheelchair, I never played mm. baseball, but somehow I fell in love with the game and talked my parents into letting me try to coach mm. and then talked the league into letting me coach a team. I d I don't want to feel enough to run with the bad news bears. Oh yes. That was my <laughs> team you know, anyway, Yeah, but over the years I got better at it and Actually one year, our team won a championship. So they let me try that They, They let me try sports writing. They let me try going away to Bible college. Mm. Those are tough things for parents, you know. When I was born, the expectations of somebody born with policy were pretty low, so so, Jerry,
0: how old are you?
1: I'm 58.
0: So I'm thinking I'm in my 60s, and I'm remembering um, being raised right around the same time as mm-hmm. you. And back then, they didn't have all the resources that are available today for so caregivers. True. Your parents were pretty amazing. They're kind of outside the box. Uh, can you tell us a story about something that they did that was really different?
1: Um, I think the, what it, the story I would be First grade, you know, I went to typical um, kindergarten. In fact, I remember the time when the the superintendent of the school came to our house, who's also an elder in our church, and talked about, "Can you go to regular school?" Which I did in kindergarten. The first day of first grade is first grade. You go to school for the whole day, so we go through the morning, and then lunchtime comes. My mom. Picks me up to school, takes me home for lunch, and then sits me down in front of the TV. And I think, wait, first graders are supposed to go all day. So I asked my mom, you know, I'm first grade. You know, why aren't I back to school? And she said, we thought it'd be good for you to try half a day, and if that works, go the full day. And I'm thinking already at age six or seven, they don't be in school for like a million years, right? So, I said, wouldn't it be better for me to try it for a full day? And if that didn't work, go go for a half day. And I don't remember what my mom said, except she picked me up, put me back in the car, took me to school, rolled me into the room, and said, he's yours. Yeah, Uh, And it worked. I mean, so...
0: That's definitely out-of-the-box thinking. Jerry, you mentioned that one of the first things that you mentioned about your parents was that they uh, taught you about Jesus. Yes. And it just seems so ironic that now you and Joan are part of an organization called See Jesus.
1: It's great.
0: It's a beautiful picture of the circle of life, and I do Mm -hmm. want to talk about that later in our conversation. When you got married, I mean, we could say marriage, of course, you wanted to be married, and you loved each other, and that's great. But frankly, it had to be a little different than what maybe a typical marriage is. And, and a typical marriage has its own challenges. What do you think were challenges that you had that a typical married couple without facing disabilities would
2: would have. Well, you know, it's a fun question when people ask us our hardest adjustment or challenge in marriage because people do expect it to be around attendant care or time schedules and really our hardest adjustment then and still continues today is driving. I, we uh, each know we're the best driver. This is true. We can't understand <laughs> how the other is still alive after all these years the way they drive. <laughs> so it's just kind of fun. We've learned how to cope with it, but it still is our biggest challenge in marriage overall.
1: And you know, we, we have talked about over the years, Joan does a lot of my personal care. I need help getting up in the morning, help dressing, things like that. Joan does that, and we've recruited friends who a couple times a week get me up so she has a break, a couple of times a week put me to bed again so she has a break. So we've sort of navigated those issues. Mm-hmm. But her number one issue is an issue that I know we share with several of her friends.
0: So, really, it's coming back to what we said earlier that we can i mean i framed the question expecting you to say well it was getting adjusted to the mornings and the evenings and taking care of Jerry and all that but your thoughts go right to the same kind of issues that other married couples have That's right. those are the issues that mm-hmm. you deal with and it's a a good thing to remember mm-hmm. again yeah. mm-hmm. for anyone who either has disabilities or doesn't mm-hmm. um, you're just as normal as anybody else in many ways. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So how has your marriage changed over the years? Uh, and how has marriage helped you to grow in your faith?
1: Um, for me, I think marriage matured me to a level that I've never gotten to without being married. I, I don't know of any American male... Who was really ready to get married when they got married? That that having somebody literally next to me that I'm responsible for grew me up. Um, Joan is also a picture of God's grace to me. How uh, only only God knows me better than Joan does. And she still loves me. That's the picture of grace. And that just continues to grow as we mature.
2: I think for me, our marriage has chipped away at my selfishness and my control. Having worked with people with disabilities, and for many years I was a live-in house parent or a live-in attendant, so I was the one responsible for people. And again, while we didn't talk about it and I didn't go into marriage with Jerry thinking I was in control. There's still that problem. He can't do X, Y, Z because of his physical disabilities. So I need to pick those things up plus everything I'm doing. And it really took a while for me to learn that God didn't call me. He called me to support my husband, to be in ministry with him, to encourage him to work with him. But I didn't have to make up for his physical deficits because of his disability. God might have other people who he wanted to bring into our lives to help with those things, or we just needed to let those things go. So it helped me understand a little bit more and practice day by day, sometimes hour by hour, letting go of my issue for control and what it really means to let Jerry be the leader of our family, even though on the practical level, I may be the leader. And, you know, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I remember one day after reading Ephesians again, saying to Jerry, you know, it just really stinks. <laughs> the Bible says I have to submit twice. I have to submit to you and I have to submit to God. And that's just not fair. And I, I said it a little tongue-in-cheek, but also with feeling like, why do I have to do that? Until Jerry replied.
1: And then I said, if you go down a couple of verses, the, the passage for what say say that you have to submit twice. The passage also says that me, the husband... I have to die. And that's way I said. It, I have to die. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. And there are times when I've had to do that. I, I'm, I'm an overachiever. And I've had to many times and still have to remember that what I really need to do is love my wife. So just because there's a the next mountain out there, Mm Doesn't God's calling me to climb it. I'm to love my wife to the point where I have to die if that's Mm -hmm. what's necessary for her.
0: And that's every husband has to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Dying to self. I mean wives too. Where it's all it's a mutual submission and a mutual dying. That's right. Joan, you mentioned that you did a lot of caregiving before you were married. Mm -hmm. So talk to the spouse or the uh, wannabe spouse Mm -hmm. of someone who does have disabilities. What that does not have the experience that you have had. I mean, a lot of what y- you knew, a lot of what you were signing up for mm-hmm. in a way. Yes. Talk to that person who hasn't had that kind of experience, but is passionately in love uh, mm-hmm. with with the one who is going to have extra special uh, needs. Yeah. What advice would you give?
2: One, I think you've got to be able to talk and be honest. Because as I mentioned it was nice to get kudos for a while of people thinking I'm such a wonderful person for being Jerry's caregiver and that feels good but that becomes a burden very very quickly so there has to be people that you can be honest with whether it's your spouse your best friend your pastor a mentor at church somebody to say this is really hard and I'm struggling and I need some help Um, so the first thing is really admitting that and dealing with that and then Mm -hmm. I think it's looking for what would be something that would be the most helpful. There have been times where I've said to Jerry, I'm at the point where I just need a weekend away. And so he's gone and gotten friends to be his attendants for that weekend Mm -hmm. and sent me off to a hotel, and I'm just alone. That's not always practical for everybody in their budget or in their time frame. So it's what is it in the course of a day that you could do? Is it sitting down and eating your lunch in front of your favorite News show or something, and just blocking out the rest of the world? Is it a 10 minute phone call with a friend? Um, is it taking a bath for 15 minutes before you go to bed? So I think it's important to find something every day or at least every other day that you can do, even if it's just a few minutes, that's for you to kind of center yourself on that.
1: And as the person who is being cared for, one of our responsibilities is to study our caregiver, and Joan will tell you that I go through better seasons than others when I do that, but I can tell when Joan needs a break, and so I can ask her, have you thought about a weekend?
2: And I think caregiving friends, we have to take our superwoman or superman capes off <laughs> Don't just send them to the cleaner or put them in the thrift store. Nobody else needs it. Burn that superwoman cape because we can't do it all. So for me, I've come to the understanding that balance means I'm choosing what balls I let drop. For this week, because I know I've got this heavy schedule, I'm going to say I'm not doing laundry at all this week. And I'm okay with that. Now, if I don't do that for a couple weeks in a row, that's a problem. But if I drop that for this week, next week I might pick that up but have to say, I can't grocery shop this week. We're going to eat off of everything in the freezer or in the pantry. Or I can't go out for this particular fun event I want. So it's choosing each week. What do I need to be able to consciously let go of? And then I don't have guilt that I didn't get the laundry done because I said, I know I can't fit that in this week. And, you know, can I say one more thing to caregivers? Um. And especially those who are are wanting to follow Christ with their life. You know, Matthew says that Jesus tells us to come to him if we're weary and he'll give us rest. And we hear that and we think, yeah, but I don't know that I can really practically experience that. But if you read on to the next verse, he tells us how to do that first to come to him. So we have to make the move. We can't just expect him. So we need to go to Jesus. Then we're to take his yoke upon us. So we have to physically put ourselves in the position to walk with Jesus. Um, And when you study yokes, one side of the yoke was bigger for the the more um, mature animal. One side was smaller for a training animal. And so I need to take the smaller yoke and walk in the rhythm that Jesus has given me and taught of the yoke. So come to me, take my yoke upon you, and then your burden will be easier and lighter. And I think we miss that sometimes. But Joan, how do you practically do that? What does that look like? It means making sure that I have some time some time in the day to spend with God. Um, It's not always the morning, and it's not always the ideal 15 to 30 minutes to 45 to an hour, depending who you hear from. Sometimes it's a few-minute sentence prayer as I'm going, or reading the verse on my perpetual flip calendar and saying, «Lord, make this real in my life today». We're doing that. so And sometimes it really is taking the half hour or more in the morning to sit down and really commune with God. But it's it's making sure that He's a priority in my day, and I'm running things by Him. Um, Not just a priority. He's the star. He's the focus of my day. And I'm running my things by Him, interjecting um, conversation with Him throughout the day, and then taking that and saying, if I'm wrong, show me.
0: Jerry, what do you think is the major attitude— of the one who needs the care. I mean, speak to that person whose spouse is responsible for a lot of the the physical needs. How can you make that job easier yourself?
1: Grace. One of the things that I'm, that I'm sure of as I do interviews like this or as I talk to people I can hold it together pretty well for a couple hours in the studio. life it's a lot harder outside the building um, John and I usually joke that we really are like to meet John and Jerry they've got their they get their lives together. you know what would they do? Um, it isn't going to be perfect but we need to start thinking. Life is not all about me, which is so easy to fall into when I need help getting in and out of bed, when I need help going to the restroom, when I need help with so many things. It's easy to fall into. It's all about me, but it's, it's not. There is a sliver of time that you have discretion of. It takes so many hours a day just because of the disability. But whether you've got five minutes or whether you've got an hour that you use some control over, you want to try to focus that outside of yourself. Um, that's one of the benefits of a relationship with a God who's bigger than us, that there's a focus outside of me. And you just need to purpose that you're going to do that. Practice it and remember that it's a journey and we're never going to get 100% there. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but you have to look outside yourself.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jerry. It's I think for all of us, we have to look at ourselves, and some seasons are harder than others. It's not about me. It's yeah. It really isn't. There's someone bigger... And like you said, the Lord reminds you of that, of that other oriented uh, way of thinking. But what does that look like in practical life? Because, I mean, like, like anybody else, you have to struggle with depression or anger or frustration. Or, and who's going to get the brunt of that?
1: Let's talk about anger. Um, anger has been a, uh, an issue almost since birth. My... Cousins will tell me that one of my traits going up is my anger. I don't like that story, but it's true. In fact, I currently am working through with, with a counselor some anger issues. Because it became clear over the last year that this is something I really need to deal with. I also have three or four guys who know the issues that are going on in my life and I touch them and say, pray now. And what takes back, pray now. Call me later today, explain to me what I'm praying for. Um, There are Jonah's permission to call me on my anger. Occasionally, hate to admit this, but it's real. You know, just out of anger, just sweep everything off my desk. You know, it's like, Joan's like, it takes me a long time to pick that stuff up. (laughs) Joan will ask me, as she sees something on the floor, did that fall or did you push it? And it's like, if it fell, she'll help me pick it up. If it, I pushed it, I get my grabbers, I take the... 20, 30, 45 minutes it'll take me to do that um there's a real con- consequence for a real issue so I've got people Joan included but beyond Joan who hold me accountable help me see what my issues are so on a practical level If you don't have that, start looking at, who are my friends that I might be able to do that with? Or is there a support group? Is there a book I could read? Is there a pastor who'd give me some ideas? All these things are more difficult for people with disabilities, but they're not impossible. Every experience God gives us, he wants to redeem. So even those traits in me that I'm not proud of, that are part of the fall, so to speak, God wants to redeem those. So I want to participate in that redemption.
0: Well, what I appreciate so much is that um, sometimes I feel like Christians can be so ushy-gushy about Oh, Jesus, he loves me and everything's good and all of that. That's, yes, he does, Mm -hmm. but life is tough and messy and hard, and that's where real people are, and that's the kind of hope that we Mm -hmm. want to give to them. So, yeah.
1: Exactly. If you're waiting to grow up before you come to God, don't bother, just come.
0: You've mentioned attendant care. Why don't you tell us what that's about and tell us uh, your decision about attendant care and how that works?
2: We, you know, we didn't honestly talk about it a whole lot before we got married. And I think because we both lived life on different planes like that, it kind of was just, we knew something would have to happen and we'd figure it out as we went. And early on, we made a conscious decision though, once we did start to talk about it after marriage, that we didn't want to involve a tendon, somebody else helping Jerry with his personal care right then. Because when you do that, you're committing to a routine, you're committing to a schedule you're allowing other people into a very private part of your life. And we were newly married. We were figuring out what it looked like to be Jerry and Joan Borton, let alone anything else. So we said, we're not going to use attendance right now. Um, I'm just going to assist Jerry as needed. Prior to marriage, Jerry was independent. It took him a long time to get everything done, but he could do it on his own unless he traveled. So we knew by me helping him, He would save some time in his schedule, and that would be a good thing. Uh, And that really worked well for us for a while. I will say, though, some very good friends of ours at the time gave us a lot of grief on that, people who live with disability, and told us that was absolutely wrong to have a marriage where you didn't use an attendant because the the spouse, the well spouse, should not be doing the personal care. Um, You know, I would just encourage people out there who are listening Marriage is so individual and personal. Let each couple figure out what works for them. And seasons may come where it changes, which it did in our life. But I don't believe it was a wrong decision at first. It was just different than what others chose. But there was a time then when my best friend's husband died very suddenly. And Jerry said, you've got to go be with her. So he just said, get on the plane. I'll figure it out. And that's what he did. I went to my
1: manager's group and I said, look, here's the deal. Here's what I need. And basically gave them step by step, this is really what I need. And a couple of the guys said, we'll do that. And, you know, it went from there. Um,
2: And then after the emergency was over, some of those friends said, well, we could do this ongoing and give Joan a break. So while we didn't intentionally move into attendant care, it became that as friends just continued to come alongside us. And, you know, one of the questions that may come up from the audience listening is saying, but how do you find those people? Because we get that question a lot. And yes, you can get paid attendant care, but there's all kinds of challenges in that because of the regulations of what kind of training they need, et cetera, et cetera. Currently, all of our caregivers, um, all of our attendants are volunteers. And how we get them is Jerry asks. And, you know, people just forget about that sometimes. And granted, Jerry's more able-bodied as a disabled person than some people. And he's fun. He's got a great personality. So people enjoy being with him, which makes it a little bit easier. But you just got to ask and say, this is my need. You know, do you know anybody who could help? One of the things that you've
0: mentioned throughout a conversation is your relationships with other people. How important is it to have a community that you can depend on?
1: Vital. And when you're in the messiness of life, it feels like you don't have a community. And in fact, there's research that shows that in general, people with disabilities have less social interaction, meaning less community. But you don't have zero. And you can start with where you are. That's kind of a recurring theme for me. Yeah, you know, you're not in a good place. It's difficult. But this is where you are, and just hope. Let's
0: do one thing yeah, to I mean, change where you are. Exactly. And, and one of those important things would be to move toward finding a community, finding yes, a group, okay.
2: a, a friend. And, and we might have to be the one who initiates that because people aren't going to be sure, well, what if we invited you over? Could Jerry get in our house? Or would your child with autism wreck our walls? Or, you know, whatever, whatever. And a lot of the fear is just ignorance because people just don't know. So stop complaining and waiting for everybody else to come to you. Go to them and say, hey, you know, we'd love to spend some time with you. Would you come on over for coffee tonight or whatever it might be? And and that breaks the ice. So we might have to initiate that and train and educate
1: people. You know, you you said don't complain and there's one place, one person in the Bible where the Bible actually says you can complain. You can cry out to Uh, cry out to to God. God. And there are days when God, this just really sucks. I don't know if that's theological term, but and that's okay. So admit that, that It does. And then we change our circumstances by changing our behavior.
0: I think that's a perfect segue into uh, learning a little bit more about what you two are doing now with See Jesus, because it seems as though exactly what you were saying, Joan, about helping people understand who you are and, If you have limitations, if you don't, I feel as though that's part of what you're doing right now with See Jesus. So why don't you tell us about what is See Jesus and what is your role?
1: Uh, See Jesus, what a great ministry. We actually, our job is to help people see Jesus. Um, We work with the Bethesda ministry, which is the disability arm of, of See Jesus. And we have a series of curriculum for Discipling our friends, particularly with with intellectual disabilities called the Bethesda Series. But we help people understand how to reach out to people with disabilities. And we help people with disabilities understand that we're not junk. We're not seconds, you know. We're not we're under the junk pile of life. We feel like we are, maybe. But there's a place in God's body... For us, the person with disability, the same God, the same Jesus, who died on the cross, for everybody else in the church, everybody else in the world, died for me, a person with disability, and he died for you too.
2: Well, and I would say discipleship definitely is our main focus at See Jesus, but sometimes you have to do a few steps to get there. So part of seeing Jesus is seeing the beauty of the whole body of Christ. So sometimes we need to start by doing disability awareness with the church to help them see, again, as Jerry said, that people with disabilities aren't junk or mistake, that Jesus wants them to be a part of his body and he wants them to be seen as a part of his church. So we we do do some disability awareness, some education, some training. And then when we have people open to the idea that, oh yes, we are all one body, then we can begin to teach their teachers and leaders how they can disciple and train people Mm -hmm. with disabilities.
0: What else um, does See Jesus do?
2: We, See Jesus broadly um, does discipleship on many levels. We're all over the world in about 28 countries right now. uh, And we have material particularly that introduces the person of Jesus not just the work of Jesus, but who Jesus was as a person, um, work that teaches us on a praying life, and then also how to be uh, live a loving life. So those three discipleship series, uh, speaking and seminars, that kind of thing, and then discipling people with disabilities.
1: You know, I'm sorry, one of the cool things about working to see Jesus is because our founder, Paul Miller, wrote a book on a praying life. Ten percent of our work time is spent in prayer. That's one of the hardest things, too. It's like, I'm really supposed to pray. It's part of work. Mm. How cool. And how often I forget that. Mm -hmm. It's so cool.
0: You know, this has been such a great conversation. You've taught me so much in the few minutes that we've had together. As we're wrapping it up, what uh, last word would you say to couples or families who have been affected by disability?
2: You know, disability can be all-encompassing in our lives. But marriage is the primary relationship God has given for families. So even if it's your child with a disability who needs total care, don't overlook your marriage. Mm -hmm. Don't let disability overshadow that celebrate your marriage one of the things we do is we were married on the 11th of the month so every 11th of every month is our month anniversary and we have kind of a sappy little contest you can remember it first that day and that's one of our date days throughout the month do something and some of you may not have time to, or money to be able to go out on a date to do that but is it on that day you you reflect on your vows you look back on your pictures you even just take an extra 5 minutes before somebody goes to work It's amazing how few of us actually kiss our spouse for 10 seconds. If you would just extend your kiss a little longer, something to celebrate that our marriage is important Mm -hmm. and we're bigger than the disability, I think is just super critical for families. And then I would just invite you, if you're interested, I uh, write a blog on Marriage Mondays, primarily around marriage and disability, but many of my friends who don't have disability seem to enjoy the blog as well. So That's at www.jonefortin, that's my name, J-O-A-N-B like boy, O-R-T like Tom, O-N like Nancy, dot com. And I invite you to stop by and and read up.
1: Let me do two things. First, to the person with a disability, or basically the whole family affected by disability. Whatever your circumstance is at this moment, God is bigger Is so much bigger to the caregiver. Whether you are a brother, a sister, a friend, parent, spouse, some of the people you care for are no longer able to communicate with you. Some of the people you care for can't speak to you verbally. Some of the people you care for honestly have never thought to say thank you. So on behalf of your person with disability that you care for, as a person with disability who's been cared for by my mom, my sister, my brother, a friend, a spouse, my wife, I just want to say thank you. God notices and Maybe not in this life, but there'll be a reward. I know you don't do it for the reward, but one's coming.
0: Thank you so much, Joan and Jerry. Uh, You have been listening to A Conversation with Joan and Jerry Borton. They are on staff with C Jesus. That's S E E J E S U S dot net. If you would like to learn more about what they are doing and about the whole uh, ministry of C Jesus, we'll have all this information on our website. We'll have Jones' uh, blog on our website. You can go there to check out not only uh, how you can learn more about them and contact them with any questions or comments. But you also find at markinc.org, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, many, many other stories that offer help and hope to the hurting. All of our resources are free. Uh, They're free for you to listen on the website or to download, to share with others. And we hope that We know that this conversation has been encouraging to you, even if you yourself do not have a loved one with disabilities or you know someone, you know someone who needs to hear this story, you know someone who needs to hear this help and hope, and we hope that you will share it with them. So that's markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Go there for more help and hope. My name is Sharon Betters, and I'm so glad that you joined us today.